0: Well, I invite you to make your way to Philippians chapter 3. And the message today is from verses 7 through 11 the power of his resurrection. We'll read the passage here in just a moment. Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that on the third day after his crucifixion, he was raised. It was prophecy that foretold that the Messiah would be persecuted. He would die for our sins, and he would rise on the third day. And it's the hope of the gospel that Jesus gives eternal life to all who come to him by faith, believing in his death and his resurrection. I'm going to make an assumption and an application today. The assumption is that the resurrection account is true. Regarding his resurrection, there was the empty tomb and the fact that the Christian faith took root in and around Jerusalem. And it was where Jesus was crucified and buried that those first believers came from. There were hundreds of eyewitness testimonies. Then there were the transformed lives of the disciples who were willing to lay their own lives on the line because they so believed in what they had witnessed and what they had seen in Jesus. It is a well-established fact that Jesus was crucified publicly in the first century. The non-Christian historical accounts, including Cornelius Tacitus, Lucian of Samosota, and Flavius Josephus, and even the Jewish Sanhedrin, all serve to corroborate those early eyewitness accounts. Gary Habermas, who's one of the foremost experts on the resurrection, said this, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. The external evidence of Jesus' resurrection confirms the truth that we have received via God's revelation. So the assumption is that the resurrection account is true. The application is that the resurrection is not just for a a once-a-year seasonal celebration, but rather it applies to everyday life as disciples of Jesus. Jesus, after all, paid an incredible price on the cross for us. He was victorious over death. And no matter what we've gone through in the past, no matter what uncertainties lie ahead, Jesus alone is our steadfast hope. He is the one who conquered death and rose victoriously. And he is the one who makes all things new. And it's because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we can say with confidence that we can be forgiven of our sins, we can grow in our faith, and we can have hope, a certain hope for the future. Now, if you do not understand the significance of the application of the power of the resurrection in everyday living, then one of two things is true. Either you are not yet a disciple of Jesus and you need to be saved, or you are his disciple and you need to grow in your understanding of what it means to follow him. I think this is an if-then what now situation. If then Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and he was, what now? What does this mean for us in our day-to-day lives? Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, the Bible says, this is Paul who's writing to the church at Philippi, but everything that was a gain to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God Based on faith. Verse 10 My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul had ministered in Philippi on his missionary journey, and he had spent some time there with that church. Now he's writing this letter back to them near the end of his imprisonment in Rome, probably around 61 or 62 A.D. Uh, The letter was to be delivered by Epaphroditus, who had brought financial support to Paul uh, to help him out in his circumstance. And Paul is writing to communicate his affection for the people, the joy that was among them, and he's encouraging them to live out their faith. So as he does all of this, he's pointing them to Jesus. Jesus as his hope and Jesus as their hope. Jesus as his joy and Jesus as their joy. And he does the same for us. And I want to focus in these few moments that we have together on what it means to experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus. First of all, when you come to know Christ, you will experience the power of his resurrection. When you come to know Christ, you will experience the power of his resurrection. Now, there's an encouragement to rejoice in Philippians. That's sort of the theme that runs throughout the entire letter. And then uh, Paul tells them that they need to be aware of the false teachers and the evil workers, the people who were trying to draw them away to other things. And they needed to realize what true faith is and to turn from anything other than Jesus. In verse 8, he mentions the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, what he does here is he presents a contrast in what should truly be valued. After all, he had every reason to have confidence in the flesh. This was a man who had more credentials than the teachers who were telling the people things that were wrong or the legalists who were trying to confuse the people. He had been schooled in the law. He was a Pharisee. He had persecuted the church. And if it had been possible, and it was not, but if it had been possible for him to please God by law-keeping or by the works of the flesh, then he would have been in that category. But it wasn't possible because nothing can measure up to the righteousness of God. So Paul rejected all confidence in the flesh, and he counts it all as loss. He's essentially saying it is worthless compared to Christ. And he said everything that was a gain to him, he had now counted it as loss because of Christ, particularly in view of this surpassing value of knowing him. I find it interesting that Paul spoke in the language of the marketplace. We all can understand and identify with the idea of gains and losses and practically what that means. But he's telling us here that there's a contrast between the things that the world often values and the things that are actually of eternal value. And in doing so, he's actually echoing what Jesus said, had done in referring to this same contrast and an exchange that takes place in salvation. He's talking about losing something in order to gain something. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25 and 26. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? So there's a contrast between what we might view as valuable, and it's actually only temporary valuable, uh, and what is of eternal value. And there's an exchange in salvation for all these things that we thought were worth something for all that Jesus is. He's making the point that in order for you to gain something, you have to lose your life, give up what you thought was important, and let go of anything that you thought might give you hope and put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. So let me ask you this question. Do you value your soul more than anything that the world has to offer? That's an important question. Because there are things in the world that are at first glance, at least, are attractive and they might draw our allegiance in and they might keep us from Jesus. We might lean into our educational attainments. We might lean into our professional status. We might hold on to the material things that we can gather that make us feel secure, to the financial things that we can take hold of. We might lean into our reputation and what other people think of us. And we might value that above pretty much anything else. Or we might even elevate our relationships, even relationships in family, to the point that we're missing out on an understanding of what it means to value Christ supremely. Let me say this to you and say it to you clearly. It is possible to gain everything that the world has to offer And miss out on everything that eternity has to offer. There is a vast contrast between the two. So look at everything in your life and measure it against the value of your soul. Paul had met Jesus and it had been rather dramatic on the road to Damascus. And he was saved after he had been a persecutor of the church. He refers here to Christ Jesus, my Lord... He's indicating that he has a personal, intimate relationship that superseded everything else. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus personally. Knowing about someone means that you have knowledge of certain facts about them. But knowing someone personally means that you have a relationship with them. And there are a lot of people that know a lot of things about Jesus. And many of those people who know a lot of things about Jesus would even affirm that they're true. And they might have respect toward Christ and they might have respect toward the church and they might think that these things are valuable, but if you've not taken Christ as your own, then you've not experienced what eternal value really is. And knowing Jesus means to follow him as his disciple and to know him in a personal relationship. You say, well, how can I know Jesus? Jesus. Well, the Bible says in Romans 10 and verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So today, if you're not saved, if you would have to say, I'm not a Christian, I am not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can be, and it's as simple as turning from your sin and turning to Jesus It's receiving Him as Savior and as Lord. And then the proof of your discipleship will be in what you value. What you value is is going to demonstrate what you really believe. And when you know Christ, you will experience the power of His resurrection. And then secondly, from verses 8 and 9, when you abide in Christ, you will experience the power of His resurrection. He says, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So to gain Christ is to take hold of him by faith and to be found in him and to abide in him both now and eternally. Now he's talking about the opposite of the loss. He said, all these things I thought were important they're on the dung pile because I've realized they're just temporary. They're not going to last. That doesn't mean that the blessings that God gives us in this life aren't to be enjoyed or to be valued for what they are. We're to steward them well, but they're temporary. And Christ is eternal. And Paul's balance sheet has on the one side all things lost and on the other side Christ gained. Now, what does it mean to be in Christ and to abide in him? It means, at least in part, uh, to be depending on his grace. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 and 27 says, For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. So it's by grace through faith that we receive his righteousness. We are in him and he is in us. It means that we're accepting his sacrifice as payment for our sins. It means that God is going to look at you through the righteousness of Jesus, not through what you've done or what you could do, but solely on what Christ has done. Abiding in Christ means that you're going to do what he says. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. So how do you respond to the teachings of Jesus? Do you insist on making up your own way as you go along? That's not discipleship. Do you insist on determining what you think is right and what you think is wrong? That's not discipleship. That's not abiding, but when you abide in Him, you're going to do what He says. And he's shown us the way in His word. And abiding in Christ means that you're going to rest your life in the love of God. Jesus said we're to love God with our entire being, and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. You see, when you are in Christ. You will find your identity in him and not through what the world pressures you into trying to make you think that it's valuable. And hey, we're all prone at times to draw our identity through that stuff because there's an immediate payoff. People look at us and they think, well, they must be smart and they must be... Uh, able and they must be sharp and capable of doing these things. And we start drawing our value from all this stuff, not realizing that it's only temporary. As we are good stewards of what God has entrusted to us, we are ultimately abiding in him and experiencing the power of his resurrection. David Benner wrote a book entitled The Gift of Being Yourself. And here's what he said, an identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. I want you to know today that you are deeply loved by God. He has loved you with an everlasting love. It was because of his love for you that he sent his one and only son to live and to die and to now live again. You have been created in the image of God. When you are in Christ, that means that you have been forgiven. You've been set free. You're in right standing with God. Your life has an eternal purpose to live, to glorify God. And that's your identity. You can say, I am in Christ. I am abiding in him and I am deeply loved. And even when you experience the difficulties of life, you can rest knowing that the power of the resurrection of Christ will strengthen you as you abide in him. And then third, in verse 10, when you share in the sufferings of Christ, you will experience the power of his resurrection. He says in verse 10, the the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now let's just be honest for a moment here. Life is rarely easy. It's just not easy. And nobody said that it was going to be easy. In fact, suffering is a part of life in a sin-fallen world. And if we understand in our biblical worldview that we're living in a sin-fallen world, that's going to help us frame where our strength comes from. Because if we are in a sin-fallen world, we're not going to look to the sin-fallen world for our answers. We're not going to look to the sin-fallen world for our hope. We're not going to look to the sin-falling world for our peace. We're going to look to Christ. And the Bible talks much about suffering for the sake of Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said that in this world we will have tribulation. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, and verse 10, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said in John 16, listen... I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace because in the world you're going to have suffering. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19 says, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. I believe Paul's desire was to know Christ and to fully experience Jesus. And he knew part of that reality was going to be facing suffering and hardship. He already told us back in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. That word granted in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29 is very interesting because what it means is to be shown favor. So he's telling us, you have been granted this. You've been shown favor to believe in Christ, to receive the gift. And here was a man who knew suffering firsthand. He's not speaking out of theory here he's talking about what he had experienced because of christ he was in prison he had been beaten shipwrecked suffered exhaustion he had been hungry and thirsty and he was in danger and on and on the list goes and here's the issue when you serve christ you set yourself at odds with the world Hey, if you're in lockstep with the world, there's not going to be much friction because you're going to be flowing on that broad road that leads to destruction. Oh, but when you step over on that narrow road that leads to everlasting life, you have set yourself at odds with the world. If you take a stand for righteousness and you hold to biblical truth, you are likely to be misunderstood. You set yourself up potentially to be marginalized or to even to be mocked for what you believe. Yet, you are brought in the midst of that into closer fellowship with Jesus through that suffering. We've been called as Christians to be the salt of the world. and The salt of the earth and the light of the world. And to reach the lost world with the good news about Jesus. And when light encounters darkness, there's conflict. When good encounters evil, there's conflict. When right encounters wrong, there's conflict. And we're not seeking it out. But he's just telling us here that it's a reality. That suffering is a deep path into the resurrection of Jesus. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to to the example you have in us. Or to state it more simply, imitate me as I imitate Christ in the words of Paul. Identify with him through his cross and his death and his resurrection. Live out his teaching in the normal, everyday Christian life. Await the eternal promise and as a disciple of Jesus, suffering is an opportunity to grow in faith and to see God at work in your life. God's grace and his peace and his endless love is enough. God knows what each one of us needs in order to be conformed to his image. And if it were not for these difficulties and uh, the sharpening that takes place in our lives, we'd not be conformed to Christ as We can be. And I want you to know. You can have an unshakable confidence. In Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 says. The sufferings of this present time. Are not worthy to be compared with the glory. Which will be revealed in us. Doesn't matter what it is. It's not going to compare. To what Christ has for you. When you share in the sufferings of Christ. You will experience the power of. Of his resurrection. I want to give you one closing thought, and here it is. The power of his resurrection makes certain our own resurrection. Look again in verse 11, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Because Christ has been raised you too will be raised if your faith is in him. When your life is over in this world, you'll go immediately to be in the presence of God. And your body will remain on this earth, awaiting the final resurrection. But that final resurrection is certain, and the reason that it's certain is because Christ was raised from the dead, and he has the power over it all. Russ Ramsey wrote a piece entitled "Behold the King of Glory." Now we'll read just a part of what he says as we come toward the close of the service. Jesus' resurrection opened a door between the fallen, groaning world into which he was born and the renewal of all things. That door was a stone rolled back by the very finger of God from the mouth of a grave outside of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ, God's eternal Son present at creation, came in the flesh to be the mediator between God and man. He lived the life of perfect righteousness that all men have failed to live. He died as a lamb led to the slaughter, offering himself up as the perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world once and for all. He rose from the grave, defeating death itself, and bearing all authority in heaven and on earth, He lives as the appointed heir of all things. He rules over every corner of creation, putting every enemy under his feet while making alive by his grace through faith those who were dead in their sins. If you live in the reality of the resurrection power of Jesus and he's your focus, you've got much to look forward to. And your life will be filled with hope and the love of God that is beyond measure. I want us to bow our heads together just for a moment as we prepare to pray and come toward a close of the service. Here in just a moment, Pastor Eric's going to come and lead us in a closing song. But as we bow our heads and prepare to pray, I want to ask you today, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Only you and the Holy Spirit truly know the answer to that question. And if you don't, today would be a wonderful day to trust in him by faith. Today would be a wonderful day to enter into the family of God. So, Pastor, how can I take that step? You can do so by turning from your sins and turning to Jesus. And you can confess that faith by praying to him and praying something along these lines. There's no prayer that saves. It's Jesus that saves. But when we express the desire of our heart, God receives that faith. You might say, dear God, I know that you created me. You made me in your image that I might know you. And you are holy and I am sinful. I need to be forgiven. I can't come to you on my own. But you have sent your son Jesus, the very son of God, to live and to die and to now live again. And in this moment, I am turning from my sins and by faith, I am trusting in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Thank you, God, for saving me. Here in just a moment after we pray and sing, I'm going to be in the front as the service concludes. I'd love to talk with you if you've taken that step of faith. I want to help you get on that path of discipleship. Encourage you to answer any questions that you might have. Please don't leave without letting us know you're following Christ today. But I know there are a lot of people in this room today as well who, who would profess to know Jesus, but yet maybe you've not been living in the power of his resurrection. You've been drawn toward those things that are of limited value. Your life has been distracted. Your discipleship has been hindered. Your fellowship with God has been limited. And I'm inviting you today to step back into faithfulness and ask the Lord to make you more like him and to help you understand what it means to experience this power daily, not just at a a once-a-year celebration of Easter. Father, we thank you today that your word is so clear. I thank you for the testimony of Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give us a clear understanding of the gift you've given us in the power of the resurrection and that we would live in light of it daily. Draw us closer to you, Lord, day by day. And use your word and your spirit to transform our lives. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.